Hi, this is Erin Judge, and my debut novel, Vow of Celibacy, will be released by Rare Bird Books on August 9th. And I'm thrilled to be talking to Tracy Tynan. Tracy, are you there? I am, and uh, I'm Tracy Tynan, and my memoir, Wear and Tear, The Threads of My Life, uh, was just released a week ago, and I'm thrilled to be talking to Erin. Tracy, I enjoyed your book so much. I thought it was so much fun, and it was also so deeply felt. I really enjoyed the intimate details that you were able to share and the way in which you wove them together with this sort of sartorial through line. So can you talk a little bit about how you decided to make each chapter about a particular article of clothing that stuck out in your mind? Well, I had been working on some of these pieces for quite a while, and uh, I was actually in a writing class, and they asked me to describe in one sentence what the book was about. And it sort of came to me that maybe what it should be about is about clothing, since uh, I was also a costume designer. And so I came upon this idea to have each chapter be an item of clothing and a personal story around that clothing. And then, of course, having done that, I realized I'd sort of locked myself into a bit of a prison. But uh, anyway, it was an interesting challenge. And tell me about your book, because yours is a novel, but it's, it, it feels very personal. Was it based on personal experiences? Actually, my book is pretty non-autobiographical. It is, in a minute, the, the narrator, the protagonist, Natalie, mm-hmm. has some things in common with me. She looks a lot like me, but other than that, she comes from a really different background, and she has a pretty different trajectory. But her sexual expression and her sexuality is also something that I think is more in common with my own. And so when I set out to write a book, I really wanted to talk about sort of my perspective being a bisexual woman and um, having that orientation towards dating and towards relationships um, because I don't really feel like other other portrayals of bisexuality are as, as at least they haven't really spoken to me in my experience of it. So I wanted to I, kind I, of, um, yeah. I really appreciated that, actually, that aspect of it, because I felt it was very honest and truthful and something that I hadn't read about before. And at the same time, it's, funny and interesting and 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 the sexual stuff is fantastic <laughs> it's very hot I really oh thank you reading it. um so thank I you that. thank you i i have to say i really was struck reading your book by how much you have in common in a way with my the second character anastase who is uh-huh. natalie's best friend um, I, was, I was fascinated with this idea, and this is the sort of motivation for that character, of a young person who is sort of the only child of some luminary, famous people, and how this, this child is kind of thrown into this adult world of sophisticates and, you know, carted all over the world. And it was remarkable to read in your book that's pretty much your experience. Yeah, no, I, I felt that, that, that connection, too, and I thought you portrayed it very well, <laughs> given that it's not your personal experience, and you really, uh, you know, the, 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 the problems of being the children of famous or well-known people and the legacy that you have to deal with, and how do you 
create your own life and overcome that. And I thought that Stasi was a very good example of that. And again, she's somebody who's kind of searching for her place in the world. Uh, in fact, both your characters are. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, can you talk more about that? Like, you you came from two very well-known people, um, and your book is an exploration of the tumult of their relationship. And I just am sort of curious, like, other than this account of it, it seems like there were other accounts of your parents' marriage. And what does that feel like, to have there be well, accounts out there of your parents' drama? Well, you know, they they were both writers, and my father kept diaries, which um, which ex- which he wrote in the latter part of his life, but he kind of flashbacks in his diary, so you get a sense of uh, how he felt about my mother. And my mother also wrote a memoir, which she was very honest about her feelings towards my father, and they had a very acrimonious divorce and separation. And um, there was a lot of sort of ill feeling between them, although ultimately, just before my father died, there was, I think, some kind of reconciliation, which I was glad about, because honestly, for so many years, there'd been so much bad feeling, particularly for my mother. But it is, we, in, the, in our family, we refer to this plethora of material about the parents as Tynanania, because... My stepmother also wrote a biography of my father, and so yeah. there were many, <laughs> a lot of information. But it's all, you know, my stepmother's point of view, my mother's point of view, my father's point of view. So I guess it was inevitable that I would have to come up with my point of view <laughs> about it all. Well, uh, and which is- I mean, I... One of the most remarkable things to me was that after your mother passed, you you were tasked to contact to contact her friends, and you called Gore Vidal, and he went on a tirade about your father, who'd been long past at that point. Yeah, no, it was sort of, I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, I mean, Gore Vidal was a brilliant writer and everything, but towards the end of his life, he was extremely alcoholic, and I Things a lot depended on what time of the day you got him, and I think I got him when he was well into his cups, and he kind of let loose. And it was just sort of sad to me because actually Gorbidel is the was was the godfather of my half sister, so he had you know, a very close family friend, and to see him lash out like that was. Static, honestly. Um, so uh, he did actually speak at my mother's memorial, and he went on a rant, a pro rant about Dennis Kucinich at the time. You know, <laughs> it was you know, whatever was on his mind. He felt moved to have to talk about. You know, um, but let me ask you wow. about your, your your book, Aaron. How how this is your first novel. Yes, and I'm also a stand-up comedian, so I've most of the stuff that I've created has been auto, been autobiographical up to this point. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and what made you de- decide to turn to writing fiction? I really love books, and I really want to have a career in creating narrative stories, including novels and hopefully someday television shows and I really had a lot of time on my hands when I left my day job to become a full-time comedian 
So, uh-huh. you know, when you're traveling on the road, traveling all around the country, I had my days free a lot of the time, and I dedicated myself to writing a book. Um, I've always, books are my first love, and I always wanted to write one, and so I decided a novel would be a good way to show off my ability to do narrative work. But also, like, I really loved this idea, and these characters really um, started to speak to me and really came came to life once I started uh, working on it. And I, I really, I, I personally now see myself uh, as somebody who will continue to write books. And I think when mm-hmm. I was starting out with this book, I just didn't know if I was going to write. Is this your first book? It is. It is my first book. It is my first book. And, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to know what the next thing will be, but, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, you want to just so kind of relieved to have done it and get it published that it's almost hard to think about the next step. Um, so I think it's sure. good, um, that you, that you are one of the characters that really, I, I, I really liked, although I obviously disliked him was Ben, her long-term friend and just the way he mistreats her and the way that she keeps going back for more I think is something that a lot of women can identify with uh, that we know these guys are bad for us but we just can't keep away from them and I think you really describe that sort of addiction to that bad behavior incredibly well Thanks. Yeah, Ben, I I think, you know, a lot of people have said to me when they read it, they're like, Ben's an asshole. And I'm like, no, Ben, Ben is conflicted. And like during the story, he, he kind of maxes out around like age 26 or 27 in this book. So he's still a young man in, in mm-hmm. the times that we see him. And, you know, he's very ambivalent and he's very confused about his own identity and his own life. So, like, for me, I don't, I have nothing but sympathy for this kid who's just sort of like, he also doesn't know what he wants and he also is he is he is even more than natalie and i think anastase i think he is even more dragged around by the expectation yeah the sex is great and 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 yeah and she she's she's kind of like got nothing else you know she goes to new york dreams of fashion design and she is rejected summarily over and over again even after doing this sort of internship, low-paid or no-paid work that she's supposed to be doing in order to get an entry-level position, you know? And I'm really fascinated by this idea of, like, when people have to really pound the pavement for a while and they they pound it and pound it and pound it and don't get anywhere. You know, I think your portrayal a intern world is, is very good and real. And, it, you know, it's a real problem these days because so many people graduating from school are forced into that world and it's just really really tough um have you your i thought your portrayal also of the fashion world was very accurate was that something that you researched or how how did you come to that i have a couple of friends who are more in that world than i am and um when i was living in boston doing stand-up comedy a friend of mine who worked for the Improper Bostonian magazine, which is essentially a style magazine, did a style feature with comedians, and she styled us. Mm. And um, mm. I was styled as Lucille Ball, and I looked exactly like <laughs> Lucille Ball. It was amazing. Oh, and um, after after that, I became a friend of hers, and I kind of got exposed, you know, to her life as a stylist through 
that experience of being on the cover of the magazine. And um, I just was fascinated by her life and how different it was from my own and how much of her life, you know, she was in the office sometimes, then she would go to the mall and then she would go, you know, call up the Louis Vuitton store and they'd lend her a purse. Like, it was just a very crazy, crazy different world to me. But, um, man, was she good at her job. So I was I was fascinated by her her choice of uh, the fashion industry and she ultimately became a jewelry designer. Uh-huh. So well, no, um, it, I was able to kind of, yeah. No, I think, I think you, as I said, I think you portray it very well. And I think the whole sort of issue of plus size clothing and, you know, the, you know, the realistic, the unrealistic view <laughs> that most women have about what's out there for them and how they can get it, I think was something that you really treated really effectively in the novel, you know, without sort of in a self-pitying way in any way, but just this is a real issue out there and how can we solve it and how can we make it more fun, you know? Um, yeah. And I just... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I saw recently that, you know, I think, I mean, the whole thing with the sizing and how the industry is keeps trying to manipulate women in various ways. Um, and I think the more that that is fought out into the open and people are able to feel more comfortable in their skin, the better it is. And I think that it has a lot of implications for sexuality. I think as women age or women have children and go through the changes of life, that, you know, the expectation that they remain sexual, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of men, a lot of people talk about how they wish women were more interested in sex. It's like, well, we tell women that they have to be a size two in order to be sexy. So women whose bodies change don't feel sexy anymore, you know? And I think that's, um, that hurts everyone, you know? (laughs) Absolutely, so, absolutely, I mean, I, and and I see, you know, I would see that with actresses that I worked with. I had one actress had lost a lot of weight, and she was obsessed that all the clothing had to be a zero. And if I gave her an item of clothing that happened to be a two or four, she wouldn't wear it, even if it fit her. So in the end, we just changed the labels. <laughs> you know, <laughs> wow. You know, and it's sort of stupid to have to do that kind of thing, you know, and and I felt badly for her because she was actually, you know, a wonderful actress, but she was being tortured by herself and by the expectations of the industry that she had to be a certain size. And she was over 40, you know, and she didn't have to be that size. Um, wow, that's extraordinary. That's an, that's an incredible story. And I mean, I really, I really was surprised because, you know, I haven't done much television. I've always enjoyed working with like hair and makeup and wardrobe people when I have had the opportunity to do it. But your stories are just, you know, people are very contentious with you and actors like they will blow an entire day if they don't like their clothes. Like that seemed like a tremendous amount of pressure for you to be under. Well, you know, I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I think the way things are done now, often the costume designer does not have a lot of time with the actors. And it's, they're maybe, you know, only have a couple of weeks or so. So the actors are nervous going in and they don't know you from a hole in the wall. And when the less time you have to create relationships with them so they trust you, 
and they realize that you're on their side. You, you know, you want them to look good, but you want them to look what the part requires them to look. And, you know, it may not require them to wear Prada. You know, it may require them to wear something more realistic for the income that they're earning or whatever. And I think that trust is, is, is you know, sometimes hard to get. And when you don't get it, then understandably these actors are anxious and nervous. And the person that they can act out with often, because they don't really want to act out with the director, is the costume designer, you know. Um, I mean, a lot of yeah. actors bring their own hair and makeup people with them. So they're people that they're familiar with. But it's not so often that they get to bring a costume designer with them. So it, it, it's tricky. It's a tricky, you know, like I say, you're sort of part shrink, part nanny, part, you know, all kinds of different, you know, requirements in order to get the job yeah. done. I mean, in the old... In the old days, people just showed up at the costume department and Edith Head showed you the sketches and Hitchcock had gone through them and that was it pretty much. You know, you did kind of as an actor, you did what you were told. You also knew that you were in good hands. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting. You talk about some bespoke uh, items, especially when you were saying Divine, who passed away before yes. um, the role. Yeah, yeah, but but, but that Divine had some some bespoke double-breasted suits made for the role in that film. Yeah, no, uh, that was for Trouble in Mind. It actually, it was the first time that Divine had appeared as a man, and because in all the John Waters films, he has his his other character, and he was very excited to be a man, and you know he had these suits made by this brilliant um, English. Um, Taylor called uh, Tommy Nutter. And, you know, they were fabulous. And he looked, and it was, you know, he was very happy. It was very sweet. And I, I really was sad that he didn't get a chance to see the completed film. And he'd also uh, just started a TV series. So it was, you know, also on many levels, his career was becoming much more mainstream. And yeah, the timing is very sad, and it's, it's there are several people, several several real people in your book who, who pass away so young, and it's and it's you know now that I'm you know 35, me now 50, 53 and 57 are seem like such such young deaths. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, that's my my father was 53, and uh, you know it, it 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 is it is very young to to leave the planet. And uh, I think it was, you know, very frustrating for him because he had this emphysema, this lung disease, and there was really no hope. I think today, actually, there would be more hope for him and there are more things they can do. But nonetheless, his his smoking basically sealed the deal for him. Uh, you know, he can't have lung disease and smoke, you know, a couple of packs a day. So <laughs> that was well, the last Well, I mean, kind of on the... Yeah, kind of on the flip side of that, it seems like your daughter Ruby, when she was born, she was probably, you know, she was so premature, and it seems like around that time in the 80s when she was born was when they were first sort of able to do interventions for babies that premature. Yes, she was, uh, she weighed a pound and a half, which is pretty unbelievable, and you could almost hold her in your, the palm of your hand. I mean, it's it's pretty horrifying how, how tiny she was. Um, and, uh, yeah, the fact that, you know, everything turned out okay was pretty much a miracle, although 
it was one thing that I, you know, being a woman was a really good thing because babies, female babies are more mature than male babies. Big surprise. <laughs> and so <laughs> they, they pop out with, you know, in a, literally their lungs are more mature and things like that. So that was just the fact that she was a girl was an advantage for her. Um, so, um, now, Erin, with your with your 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 comedy, it obviously comes through in in the book a lot. And uh, do you find yourself like using bits of your comedic routine in your book, or how does that work? I think that the way that it mainly manifests is that I have a very audience orientation. You know, I uh-huh. think that when I'm writing my book, I'm I'm considering how people are going to receive it, and I, I have a sense of timing and that sort of energy is contained in the rhythm of the patterns in, that I speak and then therefore how I write as well. But the main thing with my book, um, I, I try to do some sort of comedy or comedic interjections into sexual situations that aren't like, yes. maybe not rolling the floor funny, but you know, you, you talk about um, your sexual awakening um, very in very honest terms in this book, and I, I just really thought it was extraordinary how you were, um, you came from these people, and you comment on it with such, such vehemence, like you're like, you know, my parents were these like sexual people, and it was very public that they were this way, and then they started suspecting that you were a sexual creature far long before you were and then punishing you for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, it, you know, it, it, it's this, I think this double standard that often happens with very, um, you know, liberated, supposedly, parents, you know, that they're doing all this stuff, but that when it comes to their kids, well, wait a second, you know, we don't want our daughter to be sleeping around <laughs> doing this stuff. So it was, it was, you know, and I think being aware of that was very um, sort of frustrating to me and also you know it was too much information I think also from an early age for me and uh, you know there there needs to be a bit I think of privacy in people's lives about their sexuality and what they're doing you know particularly with young children um, but you know I, it's interesting how all these things play out because when my stepson was finally deflowered when he was like I don't know, 18 or 19. He actually called us up to let us know. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's hilarious. You know, there was some, you know, and, and I do, I feel that, you know, that there is an openness and I think that is important and that people should be able to discuss these things, but when they're ready to discuss them, you know, um, yeah, and, uh, I mean, for my character, for, for Anna's days, you know, I have, she's a virgin until she's 31, and it's partly because right. she grew up with her parents being super sexual, and I, I, like, one of my favorite parts of my book, if I might speak so boldly, mm-hmm. is that, yeah. you know, her, she has this history where her parents, like, her mom wrote a tell-all about her sex life with her dad in the New York Review of Books or in the fake right. equivalent of the New York Review of Books right. that I created right. for my, right. Right. you know, and, and it's like, I've always been fascinated by things like that, like, what happened, there are children, like, you know, Norman Mailer has kids. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I, I, I'm, I'm so interested to be talking to somebody who's actually had this experience because it's something that is artistically for me been very, very interesting just to explore what might that be like. And it seems like, you know, at one point, Anastasia is sent to an experimental boarding school 
And it seems mm-hmm. like your school, Dardington, was a, an experimental boarding school. <laughs> yeah. In like, no, uh, you know, and and it's just, and, and um, the tabloids follow her there. And the tabloids are very interested in her father, who's a Nobel Prize winning um, writer, his, his sexual escapades. And, like, I wonder, did you ever have that kind of thing where people would ask you inappropriate questions or speak to you uh, out of turn in a way because of this? Well, I think, you know, one of the things was, was when I was around 14, 15, my father said the four-letter word on TV in England, and that created a huge stink. It was the first time that it had been used on British TV. And then, you know, it came up in Parliament, and, you know, there was a lot of scandal around it. And then I was the daughter of the person who said the four-letter word on TV, you know, and wow. people <laughs> presumed certain things about me. Well, obviously, if your father says that, then you must be this kind of person. And plus, it was the 60s, you know, where everybody was supposedly hopping into bed with one another. So it did, and since I was not hopping into bed with one another and had my own issues, I, you know, it was kind of awkward because I'm like, well, I'm actually not that person that you think that I am, you know. Um, and it, so it, 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 it's, it's a complicated thing, um, and, I, and I think you've portrayed that very well in your novel of, her, of how, you know, what it's like to have parents that are very public about what's going on in their sex life. Um, so it's, uh, it's, you know, a double-edged sword, <laughs> to say the least. And then when you have kids of your own, you know, you can see how, you know, they are struggling with their own stuff and, and how much you have to, you know, be involved or not stay right out of it, you know? Um, so. Well, and you mentioned your stepson, uh, you mentioned your stepson a moment ago and one of the big reveals in the novel, and I don't know if, I mean, I'm sorry, in your memoir, um, <laughs> is that he, he marries your half-sister. Yes, yes, correct. Which was kind of, <laughs> I mean, gave everybody a big chuckle. And, my, of course, my kids were, were you know, because they are actually related by blood to both of them, but, you know, but there's no blood between my stepson and my half-sister. Anyway, they, they were slightly appalled by it. But uh, they, they, they seem to be enjoying it. But I am now in the curious position of, because they have kids now. So I'm both a grandmother and an aunt. So um, I'm known as Grante. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's, that's tremendous. I love that. Grante. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's a that's a, a new word that we it was a friend of mine coined, and I thought this is actually very good. So and, they, and they're very cute to call me Grante. So it's, that's perfect. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I, I know that this is your first book and I know that you've been, I've seen that you've had um, different interviews and profiles and experiences doing all this kind of book promotion stuff that I'm in the midst of doing right now as well. Right. So I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to ask you one last question. What's the, what's your least favorite question that you get from the, the PR <laughs> with a book? <laughs> You know, I don't think I've had enough to develop that at the moment, uh, you know. Uh, but I realize, you know, I think one is how did you get started in costume design? And not that it's a bad question. It's just a really long story, and I have to figure out a way to tell that story shorter. Um, and, and what about for you? What's going to be, what do you think is going to be the, the, the tricky question for you? 
Well, my, my, my thing with stand-up, I talk about being bisexual as a stand-up, and then when I get yeah. off stage, the first question is, so are you really bisexual? And yeah. it's like, yeah, uh-huh. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't make that up. <laughs> it's, I think that with the book, um, you know, the, the, I, I have a, partly a fear that people will think that my story, that this is an autobiographical story. And the reason for that, the reason that that's a, a fear of mine is because, honestly, like, I come from a pretty acrimonious background. Like, my, you know, I have a father who has struggled with addiction and with, like, all kinds. My parents were very dramatic. Like, all of that stuff mm. about their mm. knockdown drag-out fights really resonated with me as well. Mm. And and my, my protagonist kind of comes from, like, a normal suburban family. And, like, when I was nine years old, my mother actually fell in love with another woman. And so I was mostly mm. raised by lesbian parents in Dallas, Texas. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> my own story is my own story of my childhood is pretty different from my protagonist, and I'm kind of um, I'm hoping that people don't assume that I come from the same sort of stable background that she does. I don't know why, but I I feel maybe you have a similar feeling. Like I just, it it weirds me out when people assume that I'm I come from a normal family. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, being too normal in reverse. Although I. The thing about the dieting and the counting calories, I, I found very poignant and, uh, you know, very, you know, whether that's something you experience in any way with your family, but it, 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 it I, I've just heard similar tales of that. And it, it just, the minute I hear about that, I start feeling, you know, I'm going to develop an eating disorder, you know, it just is so taps into anything that one might feel about one's body to have somebody watching over what you eat. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's something that resonates with a lot of people. It's just like the contentious relationship between mother and daughter in various ways mm. and the way mm-hmm. that a mother who is more fixated, like, you know, and my, my character's mother is more diet conscious than she is. And mm-hmm. for a while it's, kind of gets passed along then like by the time my character is like that by the time Natalie graduates college she's kind of developed some independence about that and by the time she's in her mid-20s she's really taken a political stance that she's a plus-sized person and that's the way she wants to be and um you know it it never really it never really settles with her mother and she just kind of has to accept that you know and I think that I have not talked to a single woman who hasn't had some battle with her mother. Like you talk about clothing and shopping mm-hmm. and how even just like you're wanting to express your style was something that mm-hmm. pushed your mother's buttons. If maybe partly because you wanted to wear brighter colors and that was more your dad's thing. And she had such a contentious relationship with him. So, you know, I mean, I think, I think that the parts, the parts where the with mother and daughter will be resonant to all kinds of people. Yeah, yeah, as no, they are in your I as think, they are in your book as well. Yeah, no, I think I think it is, and and when you start to have kids of your own, <laughs> you know, you you see all these things getting played out, and you're trying very hard not to repeat the patterns, but then suddenly these things come up, you know, and you think, oh my god, I'm doing just what my mother did to me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it is a constant challenge, but uh, hopefully, you know, one one learns from their mistakes, <laughs> and then you do your own well, mistakes, you know. Well, this is an extraordinary memoir, and I loved it. And maybe in the future, your next book can be about the process of raising children and 
the lessons that you learned during that during that phase of your life um, because I'd be fascinated to, to read more from you. Well, and I look forward to your next novel, uh, Aaron. And you know, I, I feel there's a memoir lurking there someplace too. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe someday. I always, I always have kind of told myself that my third book will be a memoir, so I have, I have to do one yeah. more novel first. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. That you'll be the right age by then. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, so it's much, such a pleasure Aaron. to talk really... to you. Yeah, thank, thank you. It's just, it's just been a delight for me. Likewise, likewise. And and good luck with your launch. I hope it's wonderfully successful. Thank you so much.